Morning. Hey, uh, before we get into our brand new friendship series this morning, I want to update you on something uh, very important. Uh, most of you know, over the last month or so, we've been talking a ton about our future church building. Uh, and I had mentioned, you know, almost two months ago now, that in order for us to break ground in just a couple of months, that we were going to have to uh, raise uh, one last round of uh, money. And because of the rising construction costs in our good economy, uh, we needed to raise what really is a a pretty significant uh, number of pledges, and that was $210,000. So the pledges are all in. Uh, We've calculated the results, and our total is $443,000. So... (laughs) Uh, That's more than double, if you're not good at math. Uh, you know what that is? That is, uh, it's just, it's the gracious hand of God uh, on this project. Uh, now listen, I, I, I swear to you, uh, we're not setting like the goal numbers low on purpose or something like that. 210,000 is, uh, it's A, it's what we needed for the bank. And then B, based on the rate in which uh, people have pledged in our past fundraising uh, endeavors, uh, that's a number 210,000 that actually based on how we had pledged in the past, seemed somewhere between difficult to, you know, possible, somewhere in that range. You know, but for God, all things are possible, right? And so, yeah, uh, you better believe it. We're going to break ground on this building in just two or three months, right? It's pretty amazing. So, I know uh, the first question on your mind is probably, okay, but what do we do with the extra money? Uh, because there's some extra money there. Well, a, a number of things, uh, and I'm going to talk about that just for a minute. Uh, I mentioned uh, six or seven weeks ago, with the rising construction costs, uh, getting to budget on this building was not an easy uh, process uh, for us. And so there were a number of really painful cuts uh, we had to make in this building in the process of just getting to budget. And so now, some of the things that we had previously cut uh, get to go back in the building. Uh, first and foremost, uh, one of the most important ones to me is uh, our baptismal in our stage. Uh, there was a point uh, not too long ago just to make budget that we had to cut that out and just pray and hope that in a year or two we could get that back in. And now we'll have that there day one. And so as people are coming to Christ in the first month or two, we don't have to wait a year into the summer. We can just baptize people, uh, which is going to be amazing. Uh, we, one of the main things we're going to do is we are going to add a large um, mezzanine. So the back of our uh, worship center is 30 feet tall, so uh, up to the top of the roof. So we're going to add a mezzanine level kind of at the halfway point behind the stage. Uh, and that will allow us to have a lot more storage. And our building uh, was uh, really, really light on storage. Virtually no storage area. So that's a huge win. Uh, many of the things in the building were pretty bare bones, just so we could hit a budget. And now we can bring life to it. Like an example of that is we had a virtually no landscaping around the entire perimeter of the building. Well, now we can have landscaping in our building. Uh, We're adding a carpet back to our offices. The area was just basically concrete, so we could make a budget. We're going to add better security now to our doors and our locks. Uh, We're going to be able to have nice Bibles under every chair, nice new Bibles. We're going to have nicer chairs. Not that the folding chairs aren't wonderful. Um, (laughs) All of those things. Another thing that we're going to be doing is we're going to add a uh, decent amount to our contingency fund, uh, which if you're not familiar with that, that's just basically our safety net in case things go wrong in construction. And in a project of this size, you're talking five, six million dollars, 
things can go wrong. And so previous to this, our contingency fund was pretty, pretty low. And now we're going to be able to go into this project with significantly less risk to the church. Uh, that's just like a quick high-level overview. If you have more specific questions, just come and ask me after the service. If you know one of the members of our building team, feel free to ask them as well. All in all, it is an amazing day. I just want to stop just for a moment, and I just want to praise God. I'm just going to pray and, and thank him. Uh, Lord, uh, we come to you this morning, and we just want to say thank you. We are in awe of what you did. It uh, just blows our mind. And we are just so thankful for what you did. It's your name we pray. Amen. I was telling someone this morning, uh, I was saying, you know, I, in the realm of possibilities, I thought, you know, there's maybe a, a scenario out there in which we get to like 2.30 or 2.40. Uh, but this isn't even remotely in my mind. So pretty, pretty amazing to watch. All right. We are starting a four-week series this morning on a friendship. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about friendship, uh, particularly the importance of it. Our, our passage for this morning comes from a book in the Bible that was written by the wise king Solomon. Uh, this is a, a passage that a lot of people use at weddings, uh, but contextually, it's actually a passage about friendship. We just in America love to just infuse romance into absolutely everything we can. So uh, this is from page 541, uh, if you want to grab a Bible uh, under your chairs. Uh, if you don't want to, uh, it'll be on the screen, or uh, you can simply uh, use the Renovation Church app and tap Bible and weekly verses as well. So uh, again, a book from uh, King Solomon, a fascinating read. Uh, page 541, we're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to be right at verse 9. Here's what Solomon says. He says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Uh, this is a passage, particularly that last phrase, that is for us in America. Look at it. Solomon says, pity the one who falls and has no one to pick them up. That's us. Listen, I, I think it's no secret that we are in a friendship crisis here in America. Uh, according to the uh, general social survey, the number of Americans who say they have zero close friends has roughly tripled in the last few decades tripled. Uh, things have changed dramatically since the 1980s or earlier. Uh, and most people are keenly aware of it. In fact, some surveys say that 75% of Americans report being dissatisfied with their state of friendships. 75% of us aren't satisfied. That's a crisis. Uh, loneliness isn't just reserved to this small slice of Americans Anymore. In fact, look at this, the results from this monumental survey. This was done just a little over a year ago, actually. So the survey said this. 21% of Americans say that they often or always feel lonely. 21%, that's just over one out of five. 30% of millennials. 20% of Generation X. 15% of baby boomers. And the research is just starting to come out for the next generation, which is Generation Z. I think far too often when uh, people talk about young people or young adults, we still use this phrase, millennials. But we don't understand that, you know, it's been a while since that generational uh, descriptor came out. Did you know that the oldest millennial is just under 40 right now? And the youngest millennial, 
according to where they cut off the generations, is now 23. So 18 to 22-year-old adults are actually part of a new generation. They're part of Generation Z. And all the earliest studies that have been published on Generation Z show that they are actually the loneliest generation of them all. Which shouldn't be the case, right? Uh, For many of you, especially if you're older, uh, the time in your life where you probably felt the least lonely was probably when you were 18 to 22, right? But times are changing. So what's happening in our culture? It's, it's not simple, right? It's not as simple as just saying, oh, it's all that social media. It's not that simple. In reality, massive societal change like this can never be pinned on one thing. And so one of the things I want to do this morning is I want to give you 10 changes in our culture that have contributed to a friendship crisis. Okay, why would we do that? Well, because it's hard to fix something if you don't understand how it broke in the first place. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. It's just one that I've kind of been working on for a while. It could have been five things, could have been 15. I just landed on 10. So here we go. 10 changes that led to a friendship crisis in America. Uh, Number one, we are now a mobile society. So people move around more now than ever, considerably more than they did 50 years ago and undoubtedly more than they did 100 years ago. So gone are the days of where you kind of grow up in your small town, you have your high school friends, you live the rest of your days working in that town, and you have the same friends all of your life. Friends in our mobile society, because people are moving all the time, friends come and friends go. Okay, second change that's happened. It's led to a friendship crisis. The rise of fear in our culture. One of the most fascinating studies I have ever read in my life. In fact, I think they just did a, uh, a documentary about this. I haven't seen it, so I don't know if it's good. It was a study done by a guy named Roger Hart, who uh, went to this uh, small New England town in the 1970s. And what he did is, geographically, he mapped out how far kids could roam from their home when they played. You kind of probably know where this is going, right? And then 30 years later, he came back to the same town and he mapped it out again. Well, in the 1970s, he found that kids, even if they were five, six year old, five or six years old, could go pretty far from their house. In fact, by the time they were in fourth or fifth grade, they could virtually roam the entire town by themselves on their bikes. Well, when he went back 30 years later, he found that kids could barely leave their own yards. And yet, the crime rate in that particular town had remained completely unchanged. It was still just as safe, virtually non-existent in that town. We live in a culture of fear. And it keeps us from doing things like going out to meet friends. We're always thinking about the worst that could happen, and it paralyzes our entire family's ability to make and develop friendships. Number three, uh, the accessibility of entertainment. Uh, Listen, this has been damaging friendships uh, since the invention of the radio. Uh, In the early parts of the 20th century, people used to gather around the radio instead of hanging out with friends. Then in the 50s and 60s, people started to just sit around the television, right? In the 80s and 90s, all of a sudden now we had hundreds of cable channels, so even more people were sitting around. And of course, now we have streaming services, and that's had a major impact. So much so that we don't spend time with friends, in part because, as Nielsen says, we spend 50 of our 58 hours of free time every week consuming 
entertainment. It's like we say that we don't have time for friends, but in actuality, what we mean is we aren't prioritizing friendship, at least over entertainment. And unfortunately, that leaves us in a place where we're vulnerable. As Solomon says, there's going to be a time where crisis comes in your life and you're going to need someone to pick you up. But if you're not working on developing that, then who will be there? Okay, number four, this is obviously a huge one. The invention of the internet. Thank you, uh, Mr. Gore, for inventing that. Uh, This may be probably the most significant thing he didn't actually invent. On this list, many of the things on this list really are just subcategories of number four. Because the internet allowed us to do things in isolation like never before. Uh, Which leads us to number five. Number five is this, the ability to do everything from home. Uh, I read an interesting study this week, and one of the things that they said is one of the new factors in the last five years that's really leading to increased loneliness is the exponential rise in the number of people that work from home. Isn't that interesting? Like, listen, it is awesome to work in your pajamas, but God also created you for social interaction. And so if you work from home, like many of you do, that just means you've got to work extra hard on pursuing social interaction if you want to be healthy. And it's not just that we can work from home. I mean, you can do almost anything from home, right? You can work, uh, you can order basically anything from Amazon straight to your home. You can order your groceries. You can order fast food to your door. I mean, the list goes on. I just have this sneaky suspicion that 10 years from now, like, people are just never going to leave their house. You know what I mean? which is at least going to solve all of our traffic problems, which is (laughs) great for MnDOT, I guess. Okay, Uh, number six, smartphones and social media. Obviously, this has had an impact on friendship in our society. Uh, These inventions gave rise to the feeling that we were connecting with friends, and that it was kind of the same. Except, I think after we got in it 10 or 15 years, we quickly realized it's it's not the same. It's probably better than nothing, But nothing beats being in the presence of an actual friend. And I feel like all too often over the last decade, we have let technology replace reality. All right, number seven. An erosion of social skills. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, Plenty of things on this list already have actually led to an erosion of social skills in our society. And of course, that's going to impede our ability to actually develop friendships. I know uh, teenagers now that are terrified because so much is engaged in just technology that they're terrified to do simple social tasks like ordering food at a fast food restaurant. I tell my uh, six-year-olds when we go to Culver's that if you don't order with your mouth, you don't eat with your mouth. You can steal that if you like, right? Because I want them to be able to have these necessary skills. Uh, Speaking of Culver's, um, every time that I'm there, uh, there I don't know what was funny about that. (laughs) Every time that I'm there, one of the things that I notice, and I'm sure you notice this when you go out to eat too, is that there are more and more people who look at their phones instead of the person that they're sitting across from, right? Uh, even this week, I was there, and I glanced over in there. Across from me, there was two young adults that were just went out to eat together, just, I assumed, friends. And I swear to you, the whole time that they were there, which is maybe like 25, 30 minutes, they never spoke. The whole time. They just sat in there, each kind of 
on their phones. And I'm just thinking, just order DoorDash at home or something. Like, why are you even out together? We're losing the ability to even talk to each other. And that, that's, that's creating this friendship crisis. Number eight, this is an interesting one that you won't see in a lot of surveys of this. Less people go to church. Okay, sociologically, what is one of the main places that adults make and gain friends in America over the last 50 years? It's religious institutions, like the church. Well, the less people attend church nowadays, well, the harder it is for adults to find new friends to develop friendships with. Uh, And many Christians even now are deciding that they're just going to attend church online rather than coming to a physical church. But you can't have friend support if you attend an online church. And God created you to be supported by real people. Number nine, this is an interesting one I don't think we think a lot about, is a prioritization of activities over friendships. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, Millennials, uh, particularly the younger half of the millennial generation, they were really the first generation raised where their summers uh, and their evenings were full of uh, extracurricular activities with not a lot of free time. So let me give you an example of this prioritization of activities. Uh, My daughter uh, played t-ball this summer. And in America, when our kids go to play t-ball, what do we have them do? play t-ball. And that's it. So she was in t-ball all summer long, and if I would have asked her at the end of the summer, if I would have said, Libby, could you tell me one of the kids' names on your team? She couldn't have. Because this is what we do in America. We prioritize structured activities with adult supervision. And we prioritize that over 30 years ago, where kids would just go out and have free time and they would play with kids in the neighborhood or kids from their school, and they would develop social skills that they're unable to develop when we just have adult supervised activities. And this too has oddly begun to just erode social skills in our culture. All right, last one, number 10. The idolatry of children has led to a friendship crisis for adults. Let me talk to the young parents in the room. I assure you, that your great-grandparents would think you are insane. (laughs) They just would. Because you structure your entire life, your entire schedule around your children and their activities to the point where we say, no, I just don't have time to hang out with my friends anymore because little Susie has karate and and Johnny has this. And we just, I don't have time for that because your whole life is around your kid's schedule. You're great. Do you know what kids were to your great-grandparents? An extra farmhand, right? That's what they were. Now, certainly there's a happy medium, probably in between the two, right? But this idolatry of children and their schedules, it's impeded our ability as adults to actually make time to develop our own friendships. Any way you spin this, we are in a crisis of friendship in America. So look again at this scriptural passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. See, the effects of loneliness, Solomon knew this a long, long time ago, 3,000 years ago. 
the effects of having no one there to help you up when life is hard. The effects are many and they are devastating. In fact, there's been a lot of even just secular studies uh, produced in the last decade or so uh, about friendship and health. So let me give you a couple examples. Uh, One study said that socially isolated people are more than twice as likely to die from heart disease. Uh, One review uh, from uh, 2010 said that having strong friendships protects your health as much as quitting smoking and even more than exercising. So listen, I know it's New Year's resolutions time. If you're thinking, I'm going to have this New Year's resolution, I'm going to get back into the gym. Okay, you don't even need to do that. You just develop a friendship and you'll be healthier, right? So just, I just let you off the hook, okay? In the Garden of Eden, what's one of the first things that God said? One of the first things that he said is, it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, even Jesus didn't live in isolation. He lives in community with his 12 disciples. We weren't meant to live in isolation, and yet far too many of us are. We don't develop our friendships. We just spend our evenings consuming from some device. You know, it's usually around uh, this time of year in the winter uh, when things start to get really icy outside, like this morning. I'm always conscious of the fact that just one little slip and I could be back in the hospital uh, with a dislocated shoulder. In fact, it was just, just a little less than two years ago, uh, some of you remember, I was shoveling my driveway uh, really early in the morning on a Sunday morning to get ready for church. I slipped and I fell and I ended up not being able to speak that morning, that morning because I was in the ER and they had to put me under to pop my shoulder back in. And so now, whenever I go outside, I literally think to myself, If I were to fall here, would anyone even be around to pick me up? Like, when I need to yell, help, I've fallen and I can't get up, (laughs) is is anyone going to be there? And I, I, I think this is a question that we all need to ask of our lives. When you fall, okay, you mess up your life. Life gets really hard. A tragedy strikes. When life knocks you over, who is it in your life that will be there to help you up, as Solomon says? Now, for too many of us, our minds are blank. We haven't put the work in to develop a friend like the Bible says in Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can have a friend like that. God can do that in your life. It's what he made you for. He wants you to have friendship. Two are better than one. But if you want things to change in your life, and some of you are sitting here right now and you're you're desiring a change in this, you have to do something about it. The old friendship adage goes like this. The only way to have a friend is to be one. The only way to have a friend is to be one. For some of you, you just need to stop waiting for everyone else to reach out to you. And you're going to have to take the initiative to reach out to some people. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about friendship uh, over these next few weeks, but I just want to give you, kind of at the outset of these series, some really basic, practical first steps to start 
developing friendships in your life. So this would be pretty simple today as we're starting this out, but for some of you, these are still big changes in your life. So here's friending on next steps. Number one is simply this. Join a house group. This is step number one. If you've never heard of our house groups, our, our house groups are groups of 20 to 30 people that meet together almost every week of the year uh, for friendship, study the Bible, uh, and grow in faith. And listen, 80% of our adults are in a house group, which, by the way, means that they're awesome. That's just how it works. Uh, house groups, I think, are what make a renovation church completely countercultural. You know, the average adult only hangs out with an adult friend a few times a year at this point. At Renovation Church, if you're in a house group, boom, you just hit like 30 times right there. This is step one, because being in a house group will give you your best shot at getting the type of friend that you need. Uh, You know, about a month ago, I was out in the hallway, and a a guy from our church pulled me aside, and he started sharing with me how he had uh, recently had appendicitis, and he needed to go get emergency surgery. And he said, one of the first things I did is I texted my small group from his house group to let them know that he couldn't make the hangout. They were all hanging out together, and he just let them know they couldn't make it. And he said, within minutes, he had just a flood of offers to pick up his daughter so his wife could go and be with him in the hospital. He said, you know, shortly after that, a prayer request was sent out to his entire house group to pray for him. He said, And not long after that, his house group had set up a meal train for him so they could all make meals for his family. This is what we do in house groups during this time. And then he said this, he said, but get this, the day after I was released from the hospital, he's still not feeling great, his wife ends up in the emergency room with a medical emergency of her own. He said, without hesitation, his wife's small group leader came to the hospital to be with her because he was still recovering at home and he couldn't be there. He said at the same time, several guys from his house group showed up at his house to help him. He said they shoveled my driveway, they cleared off my porch, uh, they made food for me, they even helped get my daughter ready for bed and cleaned up the kitchen. Now, some of you ladies are like, my husband doesn't even do that at my house. Right? <laughs> Story goes on, he said that same night, while everybody was helping me at my house, my wife found out that her grandmother passed away. That's a tough week, by the way. Right? That, that's a week that all of us will have at some point in our life, something like that. It's a week where you just don't want to be alone. You can't be alone. You need a group of people, friends, who can help pull you up during that time. And he said, yeah, and his wife eventually had to leave to go out to the funeral. He said his house group continued to provide support, transportation, meals, friendship, prayer. If you're new around here, you want to know what makes this church unique? It's what I just said. It's that. There's a lot of things, but that's, that's number one. We take what the Bible says about community and friendship incredibly seriously. Do you have friends like that? And if you don't, then let us help you. This is the, sort of the beginning step. Our, our second semester of house groups actually starts this week, so if you're not in a group, this is the perfect time to sign up. In fact, I'll look under your chair right now. Uh, you can actually look, it's fine. Um, there is a card to sign up for a house group. If you're already in a house group, you don't need to sign up again, but I know many of you aren't. And so you can take a look at that. There's nine different groups, and then later when we have announcements, you can just drop that in the offering bucket. Sign up and show up this week. Okay, second thing. It's a sort of beginning next steps of how do you develop friendships again? You prioritize it. 
This is number two. House groups kind of gets you in the door to develop friendships, but if, if you want to go further, you're working on that sort of smaller circle of kind of best friends or two or three close friends, confidants. You have to begin to prioritize friendship in your life. And for a lot of us, we just don't do this anymore. I think the problem is time for friends is like the one thing that always gets squeezed out of our lives, right? Because like you have to work. You want to make time for your spouse if you're married. Uh, your extended family wants your attention. You feel like you've got to take your kids to all these thousands of activities, which you don't, by the way. You're tired at the end of the day, and so you choose Netflix over friends. And it's like our friendships as adults always seems to just get squeezed out, in part because I think we think I can survive without that. But you can't. Here's the, here's the third thing. Pick, I want you to leave here today with an idea in your mind, a practical next step of what you could do, even this week, to start developing friendships again. So pick a practical next step. I'm just going to give you uh, four or five or six actual practical recommendations here. And these are all based off people in this church that I really, really admire on this topic and some of the things that they do. So one option could be, what if you invited someone over to dinner at your house once a month. And you just put it on the calendar and you said, okay, third Friday of the month, you're always going to have somebody over. And you just prioritize that. If that's too intimidating to you, uh, maybe six times a year. Or if you don't like having people at your house, maybe go out to a restaurant on the third Friday of the month. Uh, For those of you that have kids, particularly young kids, what if uh, uh, once a month, maybe the second Saturday of the month, you just got together with another family or two and you all hung out together as a family? What if you joined a bowling league or a softball team or a community ed class or you hosted a monthly neighborhood get-together in your neighborhood to help you just spend more time with friends? What if you just told your best friend that you just wanted to meet once a month or twice a month in the morning, in the evenings for prayer or for accountability? Honestly, one of the best ways that I see people in this church developing friendships is they just do life together. Uh, we use this phrase a lot with our, our house group leaders and our small group leaders. So this is what it looks like. Uh, if you're a stay-at-home mom, and let's say you're going to take your kids to the library uh, or to the park, doing life together is just simply you know, getting out your phone, texting some of the other moms in your house group, and saying, hey, we're all going to the park. You want to meet us there at 10 o'clock? You're just inviting them into the life that you're already living. Here's another example of this. If you're going to watch the Vikings game today, why not cry with friends at the end of it, right? You're going to need someone to help you up today. This is a philosophy of doing life together. It's, it's okay, what are you already, you're already, you're going to eat, you're going to watch the game, you're going to go to the park, you're living your life. Just rather than making this big thing and you're going to send out invitations and clean the house, You're living your life. You just invite people into the life that you're already living. That's one of the best ways you can just naturally develop friendships. Listen, this is going to take work. It's not going to happen a day. You're not going to sign up for house groups this morning and seven days from now have a new best friend. But what I can tell you is that it's worth it. It's how we live out the love of Christ for each other. Christ, the one who pulled us up when we were down. He's called us to do this for one another, and he's calling you today to take a step out into friendship. Let me just pray.
Lord, I just pray for our church uh, in the month of January as we take a look uh, at this topic of friendship, that you would just help us grow in it, that we would develop in it, and Father, that by the end of this month, uh, you had just already started um, some amazing things in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.